Welcome back to Presidents in Politics. I'm one of your hosts, Professor Kayla McGee, joined by my fellow co-host, former Congressman Ross. And today we're going to talk about James Buchanan. James Buchanan. And, and uh, what can be said about James Buchanan that wasn't said <laughs> by the uh, website, the Constitution Center, the man regarded by many historians as one of the worst, if not the worst president of all time. And you know it's hard to argue with that when Agreed. you look at when you look at his history, and it's it's kind of kind of sad. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, his his he probably could have prevented a civil war. Agreed. At he, least could have mitigated it greatly. Yes. And and when you go back and you look at him, it, it, his, it's interesting because he 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 was he was self educated to an extent, mm -hmm. became a lawyer, um, and and was apparently a good orator. And then you know he served in politics, I think, for almost forty years. Yes. Uh, which probably gives the, 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 the credence to the argument that maybe we don't need career politicians being presidents. <laughs> um, but but he, was, uh, he was a product of his own demise because yes. he couldn't make a decision. Never could. And, you know. He uh, was a people pleaser to the extreme. Yeah. And, and it makes you wonder, if, if, from a psychological standpoint, we use the term agreeableness and if, how agreeable is a person. And typically that means how, how gifted they are with social graces a lot of times too, right? If you're an agreeable person, people like you, you're a people pleaser, you, you, you do well around crowds, you do well with people. Um, Buchanan had that natural tendency of agreeableness and right. people pleasing. But one of the questions you have to ask yourself as you study the president is, is that a good trait for a leader? And in some extents, yes. But then think about like, a, like an Andrew Jackson. True. No agreeableness, right? No people pleasing. His way or no way. His way or no way. But if we look at the idea of greatness, not goodness, we look at the idea of greatness, he was a great president. That's true. He was a very great president. Buchanan, he's such an agreeable people pleaser, he never really stands for anything. No, in fact, uh, in his inaugural address, he, he because he believed that um, morally that, that slavery was wrong, yes. but the Constitution didn't prevent it. That's right. And in fact, he, he, he was quoted as saying in his inaugural address um, that, quote, happily, a matter of but little practical importance when talking about slavery. Uh, I mean, here you're, you're at the height of, of, of what's going on with the expansion of America, whether we should have slave or free territories. And here he is saying, happily, we don't have to worry about That's this. Right. Which is so out of touch with reality. Yes. And, and to say that the Constitution does not prevent oppression of humanity is just absolutely absurd. Of it course, is. it took a civil war and the absolutely. 13th and 14th Amendment to, to, to change the course. But this guy, just he, he was a northerner who mm -hmm. endeared himself to the South. A doe face, as they would have called him. Yes. Mm -hmm. And... and um, and, and in fact, he he put his cabinet together of both Northerners and Southerners, thinking that that would balance out, and it became a disaster. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, actually, you know, and at the time when he when uh, when when he finished office, you know, six states had already seceded from the, right. the union, and which he does nothing about. And interestingly enough, when he was later asked about this, he said that him intervening in the South would have been equivalent to him intervening in Russia or Brazil. He had no authority. It's absolutely absurd. It is absurd. And, you know, and, and I wonder if he wasn't more interested in the title than he was the responsibility. Agreed. And the reason I say that is because at the time of his presidency, and, and one of the reasons I think that he said that about slavery in his inaugural address, is that the Dred Scott decision was coming down. Now, oh, a little background on Dred Scott. Dred Scott was, a, um, was, was born a slave, married a slave, moved to uh, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, mm -hmm. a free state, and in 1846 sued for uh, his, his freedom. That's correct. And, and said, look, I, I now live in a free state, uh, therefore I, I should be free, and so should my wife. It took 11 years, finally went to the Supreme Court, 
and Justice Roger Taney and a oh, despicable Taney. and and, oh, the, what, and this is the thing about that Dred Scott decision is that there's 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 if you look back at history there, there's rumors that that James Buchanan may have tried to influence this That's decision correct. to protect That's correct. And, and then the Dred Scott decision under Justice Taney comes back and says African Americans cannot be citizens of the United States. Slavery is not prohibited by the Constitution. Everything mm -hmm. that Buchanan wanted, which of course set the of course set the stage for the Civil War that ensued thereafter, because yes. it was such a terrible opinion. Yes, it's just it, and and it, it it shocks the conscience today that yes. you think we could even have a Supreme Court, probably the worst decision by the Supreme Court in its history. Completely agreed. And, and one of the things I find very interesting about this, and, and you and I've talked about this a lot, is the lack of historical understanding by these men. They didn't know history. Now they knew law, right. they knew their political science of the day, but they had no understanding of history. It's one of the reasons why we emphasize history in our classes. Amen. Right? We love history. Amen. And what I find really, really interesting here with Buchanan and with Justice Taney is as they look back, they'll say the founding fathers never intended black men to be considered citizens. That is utter hogwash. Uh, absolutely. If you look, in fact, at this time period, the early founding fathers freed black men would have had the right to actually vote under mm -hmm. the original, if they, if they own land, that is, under this original, that, that's very controversial, um, but there, I think there's some good research to, to lead to that precedence. So to, to look back at these, these early founding fathers and say they never intended for for black men, black people, African Americans to be free, that is unheard to say they didn't have the right to be a citizen. Absolutely. And when you look at what was going on in the debates, not only in the Constitutional Convention, but also in the first Congress, there were these abolitionists that were just dogged. In fact, yes. the, the state of the colony of Massachusetts, the state of Massachusetts, which was a free state, were anti-slavery. I yes. mean, it was always at the forefront, but in order to effectuate a constitution and a system of democracy, give and take was was had. Mm. <laughs> and, and I like what you, what you talked about the fact that actually Buchanan leans on the Supreme Court. So we know for a fact that he starts asking to know ahead of time what the decision is going to be. And then more than likely, he actually influences Taney in which way to take this. Yes. And this is where we, we talk a lot about this idea of the judicial branch being apolitical. Yes. And this is so significant. I think we miss this idea, right? This is the reason why I hear students all the time, when I vote, why doesn't a judge have an RD next to it? Why don't they say Republican and Democrat? Because the judiciary is supposed to be above party sentiment. Absolutely. This is the way the founding fathers wanted it, and it's so significant that we continue this. And there's a lot of talk right now about aligning judicial powers with a party, and that is dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. If we don't have an independent judiciary, we are lost as a democracy. Agreed. Uh, you know, as a republic form of democracy. We, 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 we can't exist. We have to have that objective, independent judiciary in order to assess what is right and wrong based on the Constitution. And the danger is, as society is becoming more and more polarized, which has done this throughout history, right? It's, it's, it's like waves. Right. There are times that society becomes polarized and times we become more unified. That happens throughout American history. We're at one of those peaks of being very divided by politics yet again. And the danger is finding individuals who are truly apolitical, if we can use that term, who are not going to stand with either one part of the next. Right. How are we going to be able to find those judicial members? How are we going to be able to find members who are going to stay truly loving to the law and not holding to party loyalty? I think that's going to become harder and harder. Oh, I, I think it is already. And the more you hear the allegations about, you know, legislating from the bench, which has happened. There's yes, no question has. about that. Uh, the, the worse it makes it to get impartial people to become, Agreed. you know, judges and justices. One of the things you talked about at the beginning that I really liked is Buchanan looked really good on paper. He, yeah. was, a, he was a politician. He had, he had served in both uh, chambers oh, yeah. of Pennsylvania. He had served in, in, in the Congress. Secretary both of chambers, State. Secretary of State, Minister to Russia, Minister to Great Britain. Yeah. He had everything on paper that you want to be a leader. And then he is the worst president that's ever been. And I thought a lot about this. And there's a huge difference between looking good on paper and performing well. 
right? That's, oh, yeah. There's, there, there's, a, there's a big difference. I always tell my students this, and I, I think this is very true. There's a big difference between intelligence and education. Well put. People can be naturally intelligent without any education. And I've met people that are incredibly educated, have almost zero intelligence, yep. right? Now, the real gift is if you have both. If you're intelligent and then you put education on top of that, then you can have a, a really, really great mind. But we think about someone like Buchanan. On paper, he has everything that you're looking for. But he has zero leadership. He has, I guess he doesn't have the intangibles. And that's one thing that's challenging with leadership is how do we find leaders that have the intangibles? And you played sports. You know, there are guys oh, yeah. that, you know, when they go through the compound, they don't have what you think you need. They don't have the, the speed, the strength. But you put them on the field or you put them on the court or wherever, and they've just got that it factor. Yeah. Makes They've got that the intangible yep. thing. Yep. Buchanan did ha not have that. He did not have that at all. In fact, when he was minister to Great Britain, he was the one that authored the Austin Manifesto. That's correct. I actually have a copy of that. And really? I did. I brought you a copy if you want one. Thank you. You know it's bad when we start pulling things out. You know. Yeah. That. But it, it's interesting. He actually is part of the debacle with um, Cuba, of course, right. getting this. And he makes the statement. I find this super interesting that he says that Cuba has become an unceasing danger and permanent cause of anxiety and alarm. And as he goes on, he says that Amer North America as its republic will never be free or, 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 or um, away from danger until Cuba is part of the union. He says it's just as important as Florida is. And he, he completely builds this thing up. I think this is like 13 pages. He drafts this. He writes this. Yeah. And then he sends it over to the president. And it's used then to pressure Spain into giving Cuba up. And all it does is just take Cuba off oh, yeah. and Spain off. And we, 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 we completely distance ourselves even more. And this is what Buchanan did. Yeah. He did not have the ability to actually execute when he wanted something done. I don't think he was sure of himself Me at, at, at any time. And, and you know, I, I did some research to say, you know, he was born into a Presbyterian family, yes. Scottish Presbyterian family. Yes. His father immigrated from Ireland. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, never married. No, only, only bachelor. Only bachelor president. There's a lot of stuff that floats around his life because of that. Yes, yes. But what I, I found two quotes. It was interesting. When You know, one he said, this is in 1860, uh, I hope I am a Christian. I think I have much of the experience which you describe. As soon as I retire, I will unite with the Presbyterian Church. And then while in office, he said, I must delay for the honor of religion. <laughs> if I were to unite with the church now, they would say hypocrite from Maine to Georgia. <laughs> I mean, there's a guy. You want to talk about lukewarm? Yes. You know, you want to talk about yes. the, the, you know, the, the kingdom, the, the, the city of Sardis? I mean, yes. here's a guy that's like, I don't want to go either way. I just want to appease and everything will be okay. Yes. And it went off the charts bad. Yes. So bad that you have the worst president followed by probably the best president this nation has ever seen. Agreed. And, and I guess one thing that leads to for me is it leads to hope because sometimes the country can begin to correct itself. Yes. They vote yes. in. They vote in Buchanan. The worst that could ever be. And then the country corrects itself and votes in Lincoln. We can all unanimously agree that the last few presidential elections have not been stellar. No matter the party, you can agree the last few presidential elections have not been the pinnacle right. of presidential statesmanship that the founding fathers had in mind. So Correct. maybe, just maybe, this next election, or maybe the election after that, hopefully within time, we will begin to self-correct and bring back some statesmen and some leaders. Amen. Maybe when the history is written, they'll say, you know, we had these former candidates, and then this candidate stepped yes. in. Then he was the next Lincoln. These, This could be the Buchanan era. That's true.
Because what did you have? Like twenty years of, uh, of of not really good presidents. Not at all. And and then a de- debacle, the disaster of the Civil War. Yes. But had it not been for Abraham Lincoln, who we'll talk about next week. Yes. Which I mean, I'm just I'm looking forward to um, getting to actually a president we like. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a shame about James Buchanan. And it he, is. But but I guess every president has their their role. Yes. In, in the history of America and. Maybe his role was just to delay the the onset of the Civil War until such a time as mm. Abraham Lincoln was elected. He is a massive—we keep saying this. He's a massive flip-flopper, and he serves as Secretary of State under James K. Polk. And Polk actually loses all respect for him. And Polk yeah. even says the fact that the man can't make a decision for anything. Yeah. And, and I find this interesting. It makes me think about—and you and I talked about this before the podcast started— but he, he wanted appeasement. It made me think of the 1930s with a, the national policy of appeasement. Yeah. Basically, after War One, after the Great Wars, the war to end all wars, shell shock, TBIs, the trench warfare, right. all that War One had, no one wanted to go to war again. And had we fought in that war, we wouldn't want to go to war again either. True. So in the 30s, the interwar year period, we have what's called the policy of appeasement. Whatever people want, they can have. Whatever any foreign power wants, they can have. We're not going to stand against anyone because we don't want to go to war again. And it sounds good on paper, but what does that lead to? It leads to the rise of Hitler and Nazism. It re- leads to the rise of Mussolini. It leads to the rise of the Imperial Japanese Army mm-hmm. taking over the entire South Pacific. And before long, the threat that was small here grew to such an extent that we have a second world war that is so large that now America has to come in and fight and lose millions of men. Mm-hmm. And you ask yourself, have we dealt with the threat early in the 30s or maybe the late 20s where we have ever reached the point of the cataclysmic level of the 40s and of a second world war? And it makes us wonder as we look at the geopolitics of today's time. Amen. Here we go. How much are we leading to appeasement yet again? Let's make everyone happy, give everyone what they want, and delay the threat. But the longer you delay the threat, the greater and the more serious the threat becomes. And we're living that now, as what we saw just happen in Israel. Absolutely. And, you know, the forces of Iran and how they're influencing. Yes. And you watch what how we've had a policy of appeasement. We had a policy of appeasement against Syria in 2012 when we said, you know, hmm. the red line and that nothing ever happened there. And they use, you know, um, gas, uh, you know, um, against their own civilians. We're repeating history again. Over and over again. And because no need... one knows history, for one thing. No, but, but, all, but, but history will tell us that we need leaders who will make decisions. Decisive. And, lead, and, and go forward on them because you can't appease other nations constantly and expect there to be peace. And I think it's important to understand as leaders, maybe as future leaders listening to this podcast, people aren't going to like you. That's true. <laughs> it's just my granddad used to make this statement, and I find this so powerful. Anything that moves creates friction. <laughs> just the fact that you do something, you're going to create friction and you're going to make people unhappy. Lincoln had horrible um, poll reviews in his time period. Yeah. So did Reagan. Um, oh, so yeah. did Ford. There's so many. So did FDR for a time period. Oh, yeah. now, he stayed pretty popular. He's, he's one of the few uh, anomalies to that. But these great presidents who's, who led during national wars and problems, they were a lot of times hated in their time period. And if you stand for something, no matter what it is, you're going to be hated. So be sure in your convictions and then go forward despite the criticism. Yes. Buchanan couldn't do that. Nope. He couldn't. And I think that's why they use him as the standard uh, of, uh, you know, the worst president. And, yeah. And, and compare him to that. What other presidents were worse than Buchanan? None, probably. <laughs> um, and again, you know, here's a guy who was probably nominated for president because he was never in the country. That's correct. He was doing diplomatic he's services. He's in Russia. He's in England. He's <laughs> yeah. He's and, all over the place. And by default, they, they, they nominate him. And, and But the good thing about him is he promised he would only serve one term. That's correct. And he lived that up to that. That's a good thing. Yes. 
Yes. And then if, I think he makes that really famous statement as he's leaving, Lincoln's coming in. I hope you're as happy coming in the White House as I am going out of the White House. Yeah, and, and any president who has to write his memoirs defending, I, you know, yes. uh, and I forget what the title of it was. Mr. Buchanan's Admission on the Eve of Rebellion. Yes. <laughs> and the entire book is a blame game. He blames Congress. He blames the abolitionists. He blames the South. He even blames um, drunkards. He even talks about the fact that basically having too much alcohol in America caused people to get drunk, and basically the fevers begin to swell. He blames John Brown. Oh, he he did. blames bleeding Kansas. He blames border ruffians. He takes this entire book and he blames everyone, and he never accepts an ounce of responsibility. Which right then and there shows you his lack of leadership skills. Agreed. Um, there, there's a really famous uh, guy in today's time, and he's gone on. He's taught some master courses. He's written some books. Jocko Wilnick, and he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. Yeah. Uh, I read that book years ago. It was, it, it was very interesting. It's the idea of the fact is the leader, everything stops on your desk. You accept ownership of things. Um, and I think that's a mark of a good leader. Right? Absolutely. I, I look back, and, and again, I'm an Old Testament buff. I love being Old Testament. I think the, the kingship of David and Saul. And if you remember, Saul's the first king that Israel ever has, and nothing's ever his fault. Nothing's You're ever right. his fault. Remember yeah. when, when, when Samuel comes, the people made me do it, this happened, this happened, and nothing is ever his fault. And then when you look at David, he always took the blame. Yeah. God, let your, 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 uh, your, your judgment follow me, not on your people. It was me that did this. And to me, that's the mark of leadership. How much of the responsibility are you willing to bear? And Buchanan, it was never his fault. And I, and I know people like this. And I'm sure working in politics, oh, yes. you knew people, and I know people like this. No matter what goes sideways in any situation, they're like Teflon. Oh, yeah. Nothing ever. It's never their fault. It was always someone else. Someone under them gets fired. Someone beside them gets blamed. Nothing's ever their fault. To me, that is the sign of the weakest leader you can possibly be when it's always someone else's fault. It's the victim mentality. Absolutely. And the fundamental rule in being a leader is that, yes, you can delegate authority, but you can never delegate responsibility. Outstandingly said. So. Yeah, in, in this book, in chapter 14, chapter 14 literally is called basically like the blame of Congress. I'm just paraphrasing here. And let me just read a quote to you because I read through some of his, his work. This is the only book he writes, and it is, it is utter dribble, honestly. But anyway, nonetheless, he says, um, speaking of Congress, uh, they, <laughs> they refuse authority to call forth the militia or accept volunteers to suppress insurrections against the United States. And it was never proposed to grant an apparition for this purpose. The Senate declines throughout the entire session to act on the, the nomination to go down and help Port Charleston Congress refuses to grant the president. So he's right about himself in third uh, party. Mm -hmm. Congress refuses to give power to the president and has long since been expired. And he goes basically back to how Jackson does. The whole thing is a blame game. Yes. Nothing's his fault. And this made me think, though, this is interesting. It's the 36th Congress, which is what's serving. And the 36th Congress has more power in many ways uh, than Buchanan does. So, so I, I begin to wonder, I want your opinion on this from someone who served in Congress. Do strong Congresses produce weak presidents... Or do weak presidents create a power vacuum that creates strong Congresses? I think it's the latter. I think weak presidents pr produce a strong Congress in today's okay. world. I okay. think in today's world because of the influence of media and, and especially social media uh, because everybody wants to be out front on an issue. That's good. Um, it, 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 you know, uh, when I say a strong Congress, I, I think you also have to look at the, the, the numbers of the majority. Mm. You know, uh, right now the Republican Congress is so dysfunctional <laughs> and, 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 and derelict, quite frankly, in their duties. Mm. But the margins are so slim with only a four-vote uh, majority that doesn't make a strong Congress. 
Congress. It could yeah. because Nancy Pelosi had a five-vote majority That's true. and got through everything she wanted to get because through. Because they can keep their party unified, yes. something the Republicans have struggled yes. with. For... And, and again, I think it's a, a, a question of leadership. But, but I also think that, that weak presidents can make a strong Congress. Agreed. And do you – do you think that's maybe happening? It could be happening right now. Uh, yes. And especially when you see what's happened uh, in the Mideast uh, and all of a sudden you see a president come back and say, wait a second. OK, we're there with you, Israel. But where were you a year ago? Where were you two years ago? Why haven't why did you release six billion dollars to Iran and, and unfrozen or unfreeze their assets? Isn't this been a pattern? I mean, look at the wall issue. Not oh, yeah. Build it, not build it. Oh, we're building a wall. Yeah. So, and again, not that this is a contemporary issue podcast, but when we look at this idea of, of flip-flopping in, in the presidency, we see this repeating itself. Oh, yeah. And it's a dangerous game. It's a really dangerous game when the executive branch of power, your, your leader, your statesman, can no longer make a strong decision based off of principles that he believes in, biblically founded, uh, historically founded principles, and then move forward in that. When you no longer have that, you're in a, you're in a dangerous place. You are in a dangerous place. And, and it doesn't mean that a president can't change their mind. That's but I correct. think a president has to be honest when he or she changes their mind, because I think the American people are very forgiving. Mm. They're okay with, them cha- with the president changing uh, his or her mind, but it's just doing it out of you know, political pressure uh, that probably concerns them the most. Well, what's the motivation for changing them, Brian? Because if you change your mind because you have different facts that now change the outcome, that's a good reason to change your and, mind. And admit it. Exactly. Look, I, I, look, I was wrong here. I didn't and know I see that. Intel. Boom. Exactly. But if you're changing your mind to follow pop- popular opinion, yeah. that's a whole nother thing, right? There are times when the individual, uh, our individual life, we make decisions based off of the information we have at hand and we acquire better information and we go, okay, I'm going the wrong way. Let me change direction now based off this new, better information. We all understand that. I think that's important. It's I, very important. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's what makes us better people. Absolutely. A better nation. But if you're stopping and feeling the wind... And seeing where popular opinion is, that's a dangerous thing. Yeah, there's a lot of consultants out there that like you to put your finger in the air because they'll tell you which way the wind's blowing. Uh-huh. What is uh, couch sitters? You pay for couch yes, sitters? Yes, exactly. To... And you pay heavily for them, trust <laughs> you pay for me. for couch I've sitters to come in. Yes. Um, we talked some already about this idea of the succession because people don't realize that the seven states pull out while he's still in office. Yes. Once Lincoln's been elected. Now, now there's, there's some issues with this because he does literally nothing about this. He sends out a, a ship, which is a merchant ship, trying to uh, basically... It's unarmed. It's not really going to do anything. I believe it's called the, the, the Star of the West. I wrote that down. It's Out the of Star Center. of the West. Yes. And when it, it, it's arriving in, in Charleston Harbor, it gets fired upon by land troops in South Carolina, and he pulls it back with no recourse. Yeah. And I, I read this, and I just, I just scratch my head. You're the president of the United States, and you send a dispatch, and you have a state fire upon your federal dispatch, and you pull that shit back and retreat, yeah. and you never offer any recourse. Andrew Jackson was a fan of slavery, but had the South done this to him, he would have sent every troop in his power and blown South oh, Carolina yeah. off the map. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? And at the same time, he's enforcing the Fugitive Slave Act. Yes. With, with U.S. Marshals. Yes. You know, where, where, where is the hypocrisy there? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think in some ways, as you said, he's uh, – remember one of the things that, that God said to Saul, the, the, king, the, the kingship of Saul, is that through the prophet Samuel, Samuel would say to Saul, your problem is you're small in your own eyes. Mm-hmm. 
And I think of Buchanan, and, and as you said, he was never settled as a person. He's small in his own eyes. Yeah. I think he has personal insecurities that make him a very poor leader. He can't ever set his mind on something and actually move forward. And we see this throughout the presidency of Buchanan. But when these seven states pull out, those are mainly his friends down in the South. Yes. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to go to war with his friends. The North doesn't really like him anymore. So he's caught in this stalemate, and he just bides out his time for the last few months until Lincoln's to come in. And then throws it all on him. And throws it all on him. And then blames everyone in the entire, even blames alcohol, blames Amazing. everything in the entire country except himself and never admits to a scintilla of fault. Yep. So America is not as pure as we think it is. No, it's we not. We have our faults. And we yes, have we bad do. leaders. Yes. By the way, we talk about his being the only bachelor. He actually was engaged when he was young. Yep, yep. At the age of 28, he's engaged to Ann Coleman, who's 23. Um, and they have this little tift. And historically, no one knows what the tift is about. Right. Ann Coleman's father hates Buchanan. Um, Buchanan kind of needs her because it helps his presidency. It, make, it checks all the boxes, right? right? Well, they get in this fight, and Ann Coleman goes back to her parents' house, and then she mysteriously dies. Most people believe she committed suicide. Buchanan mourns her, and then he'll never date, again. get engaged, or get married ever again. Yeah. He's the only lifelong bachelor president in the White House. And again, there's a lot of rumors about his, his, his personal life, but he is a very ineffective leader. And one of the things I often wonder is, did not having a first lady, not having someone close to him to spring ideas off of, to, to be his, 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 his countenance, did that, did that maybe impact his ineffective leadership? I, I don't know. Well, I can tell you from personal experience that darn sure would me. I would. Th- me I mean, too. My, my wife and I, we, we were a team. I mean, I she, agreed. She, she wasn't necessarily involved politically, but she was the best, you know, front person for me to make people welcome and, and um, uh, make sure that things went the way they were. We made a good team. And I think that agreed. that enhances your ability as to be a good leader. I, I, I completely agree. There's been so many times I'll go to my wife and use her as a sounding board and talk to her. And sometimes even just talk to her, you realize how dumb you are. Oh, absolutely. And, and sometimes they'll help me like, hey, this... <laughs> My wife's so gracious. She's so gracious. She'd be like, that's probably not the, the best way to say that. You know, she kind of tempers out that, that Irish temperament at yes. times, right? Yes. And, and I think that's the reason why God gives that to us. And you look at this you idea of balance. Buchanan, yeah, and I'm like, is that one of the reasons why he was so ineffectual as a leader? Yeah. You know, I, I, again, not having his, his – not exercising his faith no. and, and, and relying totally on himself uh, and not being able to make a decision was just a recipe for disaster. I agree. And that's what happened. And, and I want to talk about his faith because you, you already brought this up, and, and he – he does struggle with this, and he does tell the fact that he's basically uh, not a follower of, of Christ, at least not throughout the majority of his of his life. He wrote a letter to his brother, which is kind of coming off what you said. And he said, I can sincerely for myself say that I desire to be a Christian, but I'm often haunted by the spirit of skepticism and doubt. And then later he would go on in this letter, and he would make the statement. He would say that he identified more with a person in the New Testament who would say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief than any other character in the New Testament. Now, at the end of his presidency in 1860, during the final months, he will actually go to Reverend Paxton, who was a pastor yep. of the First Presbyterian Church of New York City. And he will sit down with him and for two hours in complete privacy, no secret service, no nothing, he will deal, of course there isn't secret service right. this time, he will deal with this, this pastor for two hours and it says that he answered all his questions, but he still would not publicly be known as a Christian until he leaves the White House. Upon leaving the White House, finally he is baptized and joins the Presbyterian Church. Wow. 
Um, but it's something he will struggle with throughout his life, this idea of his faith and what does he really believe about the Lord. And you see this, this idea of he's not grounded biblically. He, he's probably not too knowledgeable historically. He doesn't have a, a partner in life and ministry. There's so many things that's just playing into making him an ineffective leader. No one, He kind of had the, the recipe for disaster. Yeah, I think you're right. Very shallow. No wonder he was ineffective. Yes. I, 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 I have this from his, his inaugural address, and I find this so applicable to where we are. This election was, was a heated election. It's going to lead to the Civil War, of course, after his. Right. And as he's talking about the, electro, the electoral process, he said this. We have recently passed through a presidential contest in which the passions of our fellow citizens were excited to the highest degree by questions of deep and vital importance. But when the people proclaimed their will, the tempest at once subsided as all was calm. The voice of the majority speaking in the manner prescribed by the Constitution was heard, and instant submission followed. Mm. Our own country could alone have exhibited so grand and striking a spectacle of the capacity of man for self-government. Mm. <laughs> He just makes it up as he goes. Yeah. You know? Isn't, isn't that an amazing thing that when all is said and done, we still follow the political system? Yeah. Yeah. So Buchanan is by far voted almost unanimously by historians, and I would agree for myself, the worst president. I agree. That has ever sat in the Oval Office. In fact, there, there was they had to remove his portrait from the Capitol for, to keep it from being defaced. Yes, that is correct. I mean, that is huge. He was a um, Freemason in his life. Yeah. And actually, after his presidency, his Mason brothers, which uh, nonetheless, his Mason brothers had to promise protection, would actually offer like to stand guard outside his house because people hated him so much. So this is the legacy that we see in the life of Buchanan. Now, all this aside, next week. Oh, it'll be exciting. Lincoln. Yeah. I feel. Can we even do that in one no. podcast? I no, feel like we need about five. Yeah, but I, I agree. We won't bore the listeners that way. But we have talked today, or bemoaned. Is that yeah. a, is that well a more put, appropriate? Well put. We yes, have bemoaned, bemoaned. Yes. the life of James Buchanan. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.